You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. All right. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 2. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Jonathan and Nami. This episode will cover Victory of Eagles, Book 5 of the Temporary Series by Naomi Novik. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the closest individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. All right. Well, everyone, we might be back with Temeraire, but as Victory of Eagles kicks off, Lawrence certainly isn't. But um, <laughs> this installment opens with a shipboard fight, one that the ship Lawrence is in prison on happens to be part of. Lawrence survives, but we're left in the lurch regarding what might happen to him next, at least for a while, because as it turns out, in this book, we finally, yay, 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 get Temeraire's perspective. While he started off this his time at the breeding grounds, making as proper a home for himself as he could in one of the caves, when one of the older, bigger dragons tries to bully his way into taking over Temeraire's cave, Temeraire fights back by, well, calling a meeting, because he knows he needs to be well-behaved for Lawrence's sake. This leads to Temeraire befriending quite a few of the other dragons, including an intelligent, albeit somewhat persnickety one named Perskidia. <laughs> Unfortunately, he has soon brought incorrect intelligence that Lawrence died in the aforementioned battle, at which point he loses any desire to remain well-behaved and organizes his new dragon friends into their own militia. They enlist the breeding ground's human staff as logistical support and begin harrying Napoleon's forces, who have finally landed in Britain and begun striking inland. And it turns out that the dragons are actually really good at doing so. Granted, they're driven by their desire for prizes, but hey, who cares if they're getting the job done, right? Of course, this leads to a merry, or would it be not so merry, chase as Tharke collects Lawrence and brings him to the breeding grounds to meet up with Temeraire, because let's be real, the British need all the dragons they can get right now. Eventually, they are reunited, and of course, it is oh so sweet, and probably just in time, because Temeraire was definitely out for vengeance, and even the other dragons were beginning to worry whether he would eventually lose control. Soon after this, the dragon militia, now including Lawrence, is intercepted by a courier offering the commander, that is Temeraire, a colonel's commission. Of course, Temeraire accepts, and surprisingly, General Wellesley actually accepts Temeraire as an officer in his own right. And as it happens, Iskirta and her band of ferals have heard about the prizes and commissions, and they become part of this dragon-led corps as well. Unfortunately, their first big battle against Napoleon's forces turns into a rout with only a brilliant action on Wellesley's part, allowing some of the British and the dragons to escape. With the dragons being a big part of shuttling the British men to safety, it turns out to be the perfect time for Lawrence and Temeraire to approach Wellesley with their notion of draconian equality. While their arguments are sound, it's probably Jane Rowland's theory that Napoleon has bolstered his own aerial corps by extending similar privileges to the pharaohs on the continent that seals the deal. So the dragons are put to work with the promise of being paid the cost of their upkeep directly. This is all well and good, except that Iskirka quickly gets aboard with shuttling soldiers around and decides to mount her own attack on the French. Oh, Iskirka, whatever will we do with you? She ends up getting herself and Granby captured, so Lawrence and Tharke sneak into London to save them. While the mission is technically a success, it's a painful one for Lawrence, who runs into an acquaintance of his, Bertram Woolwey. 
the man who happens to be married to Lawrence's former, though unofficial, betrothed, Edith. Will we insist on helping them extract Granby and his Garyaka and is killed during the escape, leaving Lawrence in the difficult position of relating to this information to Edith? Which, for reference, he literally does not for months. After the rescue, everyone regroups in Scotland, at which point Lawrence literally runs into King George, and it's pretty clear that he's probably not coming back from his current adult state. Wellesley is essentially in charge at this point, and because Lawrence is still a big old traitor in most people's minds, his included, he gives him Temeraire and a group of dragons of their choosing in order to attack French forging parties that are roaming the land. But it's not the kind of order anyone would celebrate, as no actual batters are allowed. On top of that, Wellesley doesn't want them leaving any survivors. Lawrence being Lawrence insists on taking off the blame for what could be considered war crimes, and has Wellesley give written orders to the rest of the formation there to obey Lawrence without question. While the mission helps with getting the people of Britain accustomed to the dragon's presence and even leads them to becoming protective of the dragons, the formation quickly tires of what is clearly a shitty-ass job, and Lawrence finally disobeys the order. But because this happens right as Wellesley decides the time is right for a battle, he has even that Lawrence is trying to pass responsibility for their actions back up the chain of command. The British do finally win the day, but at a huge cost, as Lien uses the Divine Wind to create a tsunami that destroys the British fleet, which also allows for Napoleon to return back across the channel. In the end, things have changed for the better for the British dragons, who use the treasures won in the fighting to fund the construction of their own pavilions. Lawrence and Temeraire aren't so lucky, though. Wellesley, who is now a duke and is... His name has changed, but it will will be? Well, will be? I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know why his name changed. I'm so confused about that. But Wellesley commutes Lawrence's sentence to transportation and sends him off to Australia with three dragon eggs in hopes of eventually aiding the colony with some aerial forces. So Temeraire and Lawrence sail off to the new wake, off to their new fate. But wait, there's more. Iskierka and Granby shows up because, get this, Iskierka wants an egg from Temeraire. Temeraire is not happy about this. No, he is not having it. Like, the one thing, I, I didn't want to try to put this in the summary, um, but the one thing that I found hilarious, and it's like the, one of the very last things that, you know, is said at the end of the book, it's Granby saying, like, she wants a like she wants an egg. She wants a baby dragon that has fire breathing and the divine wind. And I like don't have the heart to tell her that's not how these things work. <laughs> and it's like, well, how do we know? <laughs> they, I, yeah, I know they don't. And honestly, there's actually like I mentioned in our last episode in in the next uh, in the next uh, book, there is some genetic stuff that goes on with one of the two eggs that's really odd. And I know I, I'm sure Nami's going to love it. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, you, you, they don't really know they've, I, they've never had a celestial to breed with any other dragon. So who knows? But honestly, also I, I am, I worry, I would worry about like a, dragon having those two things and like especially being... one with Iskierka's chaos genes like I don't yeah. know the... <sighs> although to be fair I you know Iskierka being the way she is I think has a lot to do with uh the way Temer talked to her when she was still in her egg mm, um it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit it's a little bit Temer's fault a little bit just a little bit 
but it's okay. I still love her just the way she is. Um, even though she's she does something really stupid in this book. <laughs> um, so who's her voice? Well, we talked about that last time, and I can't remember who we who we decided would would voice Iskirka. Uh, I know I that. Think, I don't think we did. I thought we thought about with thinking about it, but we did, didn't. We actually. Mm, yeah, I don't think we decided on somebody. Oh my god! You know who would be funny? Tara Strong. Yeah, like with one uh, with the voice she does for which My Little Pony does she voice? <laughs> She's Twilight Sparkle. That's what it is. Okay, I I don't know the new My Little Pony all that well. Um, but uh, oh, so, okay. So like real quick though, uh, before we get back onto Iskierka, um, the one major thing about this book is a we get Temeraire's point of view and b like Temeraire leading dragons like ah! i was just very excited for the dragon militia i know so I was like this is so cool and then like you know them actually being really good and then all of the humans just be all of like the humans in command being like this well this is absurd and then being like oh no they're actually good at this oh, yeah no. yeah i mean and it's funny that you know this whole thing starts with temeraire um you know, calling that meeting because um, the one dragon whose name escapes me. Uh, Requiescat? No, it's not Requiescat. It is Requiescat. So yeah, so the, the one dragon trying to be, just be like, yeah, so uh, I've decided I like your cave better and I want it. And Tamara's like, Also, ah! he talks like a sleepy old man. Like, yeah. oh, why are you making such a big fuss? And I'm just like, oh my God. He's just an old fancy British man. And what's uh, the other little dragon, the little courier dragon, his name starts with an M. Um, Minnow? It is Minnow. Okay. The, the weirdest thing is I, I wanted to say Minnow, but then I was like, no, that's not it. Because I'm like, I actually like opened up an old novel that I started writing, not kidding you, like seven or eight years ago. And one of the characters' names is Minnow. And I was like, am I thinking Minnow? Because I'm thinking of this book I wrote like eight years no, ago. No, her name is Minnow. I love it. I also, like, adore Presidia because, like, oh my gosh, yeah. Her whole thing when she comes up and she's like, yeah, uh, y'all want treasure and stuff from fighting, but, like, I don't want to fight because it's scary and I will get hurt and I don't want to get hurt and that looks scary. And then, meanwhile, Temeraire is like, oh, I thought that was cowardice. And I thought cowards were, like, evil. But Presidia isn't evil. And I'm just like, oh, look at you. We'll be this fighting nuance. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do, I do like Presidia. I like that she's, you know, she doesn't want to fight, but then she's, like, she's like also dragon strategist. It's so yeah, cute. It's the best. It's the best. Her. Like the opposite of Iskierka, really. She like, is the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Full inverse. And how she's introduced when she's like coming to Temeraire with these like geometry and like math problems and. Like trigonometry and shit. I love that she literally shows up and like she's like, well, I solved this trigonometry proof without you even asking. And also, like, here's the Pythagorean theorem because I just realized that that's how it must work. And he's like, yeah, this is theorem. And she's like, well, I figured it out on my own. So like, that's more impressive. And I'm like, I mean, honestly, yeah. Like, having never read a book, you figured this out. That's she's 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 uh she's great. Like, I mean, really, like all like. 
what's it? Oh my God, the the super old dragon who they have to carry around. The I think he's a long wing, right? He's a long, yes. he's a long wing who has a who's had like three captains, I think. And he has a portrait of his captain. His first captain, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's so cute, and he's like, I don't want to be left behind. Bring me on the fight with you, and all they just have to carry him around, and he can't really do much. But he's just like, well, he did though. He was dropping acid on. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, it, it, it's it's like he has he has uh he has um he's worthwhile, you know, to have there and everything. But like he's you know, it's also a little bit of a pink. So they have to carry him everywhere, and and they have to. He switch literally shoes. showed up to a battle in a wheelchair and is throwing acid water balloons. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, he's like Bran, but he actually does something. Hey, more useful. Brand. Oh, there's gonna be, a, there's definitely gonna be other um, comparisons to uh, a Song of Ice and Fire coming up. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, like I mean, and and just everything about their, uh, everything about the, the, what the dragons are doing, like just how they are, the, the Temeraire and. I mean, mostly Temer. He does the organizing. Presidia does the strategium. Um, but like, they're like all of them have their parts and play their parts, and and it's just it's so well organized. It's so much better organized in a lot of ways than like what the British are doing. Obviously, because they do, you know, take down a bunch of these you know little French troops, and they get their little they get their eagles. <laughs> well, the advantage. People didn't realize it's in, in certain instances it's an advantage to not have a captain. Right. Yeah. Right? You exactly. can't be boarded. There's right. no way to board them and take the control of them. Right. If, if they're just on their own operating, and, and it's been it's been like a gosh a month over a month since I finished this book and I read it real quick. Uh, isn't there a, a scenario where? the French try to board one of them and he has a bunch of smaller dragons the, the one it might be requisite that he has a bunch of smaller dragons on his back and the French just get like mauled by these little dragons and am I misremembering that because I swear that no, happened I, well, I don't remember that I know they painted some of the bigger dragons to make it look like they had crews on them Oh Maybe yeah, yeah. painted them to make it look like they had harnesses on them so and crews yeah so and, and then put dummies on it, yeah, they put like yeah. straw dummies on so that when they boarded, there was nothing to grab onto, and and they all fell off. Yeah, goodbye, <laughs> Frenchmen. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's. I mean, and and then the fact that, um, that when they do meet back up with the British forces, and like they they all get made into like not all of them, but a bunch of them get made into officers and they all get like their epaulets and everything. And, like, oh, and they're just like, they're just like scraps of cloth, but they're all just, they're shiny. So they're like, yeah, I'm so proud of my scrap of cloth. Epaulet. My favorite is like when Jane shows up with Exidium and Exidium's just like preening about his and Jane's like, yeah, this was a brilliant move. They all just want to be officers now. And they're, they're working real hard. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I, I mean, th this book, like, if this had just been, like, Lawrence's point of view and, like, drag it, like, like, and just battles in Britain, it would have been boring as fuck, let's be honest. But because you get Tamara's <laughs> point of view and because the dragons, like, get to do, like, they, 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 Naomi Novik introduces this whole new thing of, like, dragons, you know, 
getting to be getting to be officers and have command and you know i mean shit even even wellesley like we said in the summary he like accepts temerare as an officer and he Grudgingly. treats him as one like when 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 Very yeah i mean grudgingly but he does it and like he i mean he he even like dresses temerare down when when things go wrong and it is and it is you know because temerare is it's like something i don't remember exactly what happened but it's clearly because temerare was like inexperienced and didn't handle a situation properly and temerare takes that criticism to heart you know like and and it's whether or not it's grudgingly he's still he still did it you know what i mean like which is like honestly even even a book ago you couldn't have convinced me that something like that would happen uh, but I guess that's what happens when, you know, Napoleon lands and is, you know, literally encroaching on the entire island. Yeah, and they need all the in, all the help they can get. And without the dragons, they're doomed, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, need, I mean... They need all of Temera's dragons. Right, and they... I they're mean, gonna, really... Basically, they're going to just say F it if they don't get something of what they want. So it's not like... You know, and also there's like the whole thing that like how like since Napoleon is improving situations for the dragons in France, all the ferals in France are like coming and joining him voluntarily. So because of that, like Napoleon has more dragons than, than before. So like even more than just like the basic like they need all hands on deck, they extra need the extra people. Because mm -hmm. like, yep. Well, and I mean, shoot, what is it when they when they end up back up at the breeding grounds and that one French dragon is there and he's bragging about like some giant jewel or something that he that he got that he's got back in his pavilion or whatever. And it's they're just like, oh, my God, like, like, we need to stop this immediately before this like French dragon like convinces them to like go to the other side for more prizes. My favorite is the officers are like, come on, this can't really be happening. They're just chatting and they're like, you don't think it's a coincidence that they said the one dragon that can speak English here? Like, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, honestly, like, speaking of prizes, whenever, uh, whenever Iskierka kind of oh, like I mean Temer gets his command or whatever like he meets up with Lawrence he basically like immediately gets his command and like almost instantly Iskierka and the Ferals are there and Granby um he, th this is the thing I, I mentioned last week and then I was like shoot I think that's actually for or two weeks ago sorry I mentioned it when we were talking about Empire of Ivory but because uh, I thought it happened at the end of that book but it actually was in this one Granby says um, you may be sure she Iskerka swallowed it whole and nothing would do but we would come and fight with you or else Tamara would be getting all the glory and prizes and she wanted an eagle too and once she's decided something those ferals will follow her to the end of creation um, you know like Arcady was still their leader, but you know, he had evidently taken to regarding her as a force of nature beyond ordinary leadership. So much treasure had she led them to seizing. And it's like, oh man, like, because only the Ferals really would have followed a scarecrow like that. You know what I mean? They're they're there for that type of stuff. They're there for the better food and and the the shiny things. They Right, they don't have the training. They don't have the attachment to a captain. Uh, it was, it's just I, everything about the dragons 
you know, have and, fighting and, like, in this book. Was Randy's great. just whole like general resignedness now to Iscarica's bullshit, and he's just like, I don't know what to do, guys. But was it? I mean, it wasn't this captain, but wasn't the main uh, riding Arkady? Yes. Yeah. 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 I believe because he could co communicate. Because yeah. he, 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 he yeah. was good with languages and could com yep. communicate the signals. Yeah. Yeah. So Domain was like acting as a translator. And then, like, whenever they like stopped places, he would like forage for them, which was really which was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's great that not only are, you know, Domain and, and Sifo, Sifo, Sifo still, you know, there and part of things, despite what Lawrence did, it's, it's great that. They're also, you know, it's like Sifo is like, like he's learning to read and like, and like just really smart and everything. And yeah, Domain is getting to ascend, he's getting to be like a pseudo captain because he understands the ferals. Like, not only did they not just disappear at during Empire of Ivory, they get back to Europe. And even after Lawrence screws, screws up, quote unquote, uh, they still get to kind of live their life and and it's a good life for them right now, you know, which is really sweet to me. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Um but uh yeah, oh and and just real because we're talking about Iskerka uh touch touching back on the her like wanting or expecting any baby she has with Tamara to have like fire breathing and the divine wind and like Granby telling her like how, that's not how it works it it does make me wonder if there's some like sort of foreshadowing um but like about them having an egg I I honestly don't know uh but I I and I don't know I think it's at the end of this book Iskerka is like well you haven't given any other dragon's eggs so you might as well try with me and I think there was something in um, maybe it was something that Lawrence learned from that one dragon specialist in the first book, or possibly it was something in the second book where they say that like the celestials, they don't, uh, they don't get a lot of eggs. Like it's not, you know, even when they interbreed with other dragons, well, they like don't interbreed. Dragons. That's what they said. The celestials don't interbreed. They're so no, they sure. do. They no, they do. They do. They, they, they do with, well, in, in China, they only, I think do it with the Imperials. Yeah. So they um, agreed, but only with the Imperials because the Imperials are like more common, but they're like the closest to their yeah. like genetic composition and therefore most likely to be successful, I'm guessing, as part of the reasoning. And also like they can't not interbreed because they're all literally related. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that and and again, well, like, I mean, that's I, with I, all humans at some point, right? I mean, I'm, but theirs is a lot closer. Yeah. And I, and and I think that again like it's it's one of those things that's I know it said at some point I just can't remember exactly when that you yeah, know no, the celestials eggs don't ha like they don't get eggs that often from celestials. Yeah, I think we remember this as well. But um so anyway, and also on Iskirka, uh oh gosh, like her just getting tired of of when they're having to shuttle the soldiers back and forth and just being like, whatever, I'm going to go do a battle. <laughs> just that's what, she, that's what she is. I'm going to go do a battle. And she just hies off to wherever and gets herself and Granby captured. And like nothing much comes of that. Um, I think that she, I think that there's some realization on her part uh, uh, regarding like her attachment to Granby and like, 
how she's kind of been um, just like, like throwing things to the wind and putting him in danger. I don't know that that'll stick necessarily, but I mean, she clearly has a, like she ends the book by like breaking orders again and joining them on the boat. Well, but at least in that case, she knew they were just going to a British boat and they weren't like, she wasn't like, no, like flying off to start a fight on her own, you know? She's still like doing whatever she wants, basically. And and honestly, like that, that the rescue mission, it felt just a little bit like filler for me. Um, and And I'm saying that, you know, understanding that despite the fact that Lawrence is going to Australia at the end of this book and the next book does take place in Australia. Um, and I don't really, I honestly don't know what happens after, after that. Like, uh, so there's, I guess some chance that he ends up with Edith who is now widowed, you know, I don't know, but there's a chance now cause she's widowed. But other than like, if that doesn't happen eventually, this that whole that whole bit is gonna feel like there was like not very much payoff because there wasn't. Like they got Granby and Iskerka back. Iskerka learned a lesson, but not the lesson she probably needed to, and that's it. Like, I think it was like the way that Iskerka becomes more manageable for the rest of the book. Maybe it's almost losing, almost losing Granby, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, but I guess like it's not, it, it hasn't changed her personality or, or her even her actions. Like Nami said, so much that it really feels like it was a turning point in her care in that character, you know. Um, so yeah, I'll be I'll I guess I'll be interested to see whether there's any like eventual payoff. And honestly, I don't know. There's there's three more books after or four more books after this one and uh you know, so who knows what and no you know it clearly has like a had like a long game in mind. I mean, with that mushroom she mentioned in the beginning of book 2 that came back and was like this huge thing in book 3. So I suppose we might see, but um but anyway, uh so other than Temeraire leading dragons, um, the moment where Lawrence like literally runs into King George, uh, that that was just an odd bit of like, as soon as he ran into him, I was like, oh, and he was kind of like talking, you know, very adult and everything. I was like, oh, this is the king, isn't it? And then, yes, it was the king. Um, I was really trying to work like a Hamilton joke into the summary, but I just, I, I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough time, energy or anything to like figure out the best way to word it. Uh, you know, cause this is, what year is this book? 1806, 1807. So that's getting. Yeah, I think we're the 18th. I it was a little later than that. Yeah, I think we're like 18. Oh, we are, we're that far along now. The, the, the time, the time passing in these books is a little bit like, it's been years since Lawrence first met Temeraire, I think, you know, with how long they travel all the time and everything, but it's, 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 there's, there's very, there's very little mention of what year it is. Like in passing, Lawrence will sometimes what? say back in 05 and it's like, wait, but what year is it now? Asshole. <laughs> wait, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Quick Google, quick Google. I think, ah, 1808. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I mean, so we know King George when 
you know, mad for lack of a better word, I guess, um, you know, mad King George, uh, like pretty soon ish after the revolution. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it was a little bit like, it's like, Oh, okay, cool. Here's a cameo from King George, but also like, what does this serve to prove? I don't know. It was, it was a cool little cameo, I guess. That's it. Maybe that's what I need to focus <laughs> on. Um, uh, okay. So, so what did you guys think about the whole, the orders that Wellesley gave Lawrence? Uh, basically like you're a traitor. Nobody cares what you do. So you've got to go around. You, you can't engage in any pitched battles. You, and you also, but, and, uh, and, but not sure you can't, you also can't leave any survivors. Um, so it and, was Tywin and Lannister ordering the mountain to ravage the riverlands. I mean, that's, that's what it was. Except the mountain had morals and didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a good comparison. But he still did it. Uh, well, I mean, I was going to say from what we know of the mountain. We don't know if the mountain has morals or not. We never learned that in the books. We never got the mountain's point of view well, in any Okay. I will say there is a I, difference I, between obeying orders and like killing people and then also raping and pillaging as you go. Yes. Before yeah. the mountain definitely did not have morals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Trust me. I'm rereading Game of Thrones right now, like the first book. And it's like sometimes I forget just actually it's, it's been about a little over four years since I last read this series and man I forgot how just deeply dark it is a lot of the time and I'm already sitting here just like I'm gonna finish rereading the series over like I'm gonna read this and then I'm gonna go read like the Hobbit next probably <laughs> because I need to like cleanse my soul like I, I and and it's not that I don't enjoy it I still like respect the writing and everything. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like, while Lawrence is doing dirty deeds in a way, like war crimes, you know, um, he does feel bad about it. And like, he's not, there's no torture. There's no raping and pillaging. They are literally just. Oh, there's pillaging. There's not so, so much raping. I mean, they're, they're, well, they're, but is there pillaging? Can you call it pillaging when they are taking back the things that the French have stolen from the British already yeah that's not pillaging yeah that's like, how they i don't actually ever like they kill unarmed people but they kill unarmed french soldiers so they're like no mercy on their rapers and pillagers so like it's still not great because like they will kill people after surrender which is not moral but correct it's it's not on the there is no pillaging occurring. And it does serve to, uh, as we mentioned in the summary, it does serve to get the British people not just used to the dragons being around, but also realizing that the dragons are essentially, in a lot of cases, like their saviors. Um, and, and so they start being protective of the dragons, which is hopefully really good for the future of dragons in Britain because, you know, because they're getting used to them, because they're seeing them being, you know, in a way, even if it's not, it's a roundabout, not necessarily like proper way in Lawrence's mind or whatever, like 
heroic. And then like, oh gosh. And then they, then they end up at Lawrence's family's house and like, it's not wrecked at all because, and Lawrence realizes that Napoleon like spared his, his house, family his family's home, house, yeah. like on purpose. And wealth. And wealth. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence is like all mad about it. And it's like, I mean, dude, come on. You gotta, at some point you gotta stop being so like hoity-toity. Like it sucks that everybody else happen, is getting. Though. I mean, without giving away the rest of the books, it never happens, or at least it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I low-key highly <laughs> expect that it will not happen. Because yeah. at this point, if he can't be at least selfishly happy that his family is spared the horrors of war. Like, I don't know what. Well, but he, but he, he sort of has a love hate relationship with both his father and brother. So it's well, only his, his mother, mo- at least. He well, that's what I said. Mother. It's only his mother. He really cares for. Exactly. Well, like, and they're also, they're also like taking in like all of their like local villagers and stuff like that. Like they're not just sitting in their house safe you know, ignoring the the awful things that are happening around them. They are like doing everything they can for the people who are close enough to help. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they're, like they actively like gambling out their wealth and stuff. And like honestly, if my family was rich and then they did that during wartime after being spared by the enemy, I'd be like, oh fuck yeah, this is kind of the best I could have hoped for. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's not like the whole fact of the matter is like Lawrence is getting, Lawrence's family is getting this special treatment because he did something that was right in the first place. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, he didn't allow he, or he stopped the, the British from, you know, murdering like all of the, not just French dragons, but really like that would have just spread and spread and spread across the entire continent and probably beyond. So I did like, however, like Jane's like whole thing. Cause she was like, you know, that, that, that like, it wasn't actually going to happen. Right. Like, like smuggling the cure out, like that could have, and would have been done without you like doing like this big, big gesture. And he was just like, Oh fuck. And like, yeah, I mean, the way that kind of bite, it like bites, but also like it makes me feel slightly better about like the rest of the core because like they were clearly unhappy about it as well, yeah. but no one was doing anything. And I was just like, come on, guys, like the heck is this? And the fact that Jane like seems to have had some sort of plan or at least some sort of idea that this would not really occur and that there were so- there was some sort of thing in cooking to make it not happen was a better feeling for me because at first I was like wow everybody sucks they all suck they all suck in the name of duty great yeah love you no and 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 that's the thing though like of course the people in the aerial corps who understand you know how intelligent and or even even when they're not super intelligent like volley like they understand that they are still you know beings that that think and they don't you know they aren't just and they're just horses in the in in you know what i mean not and again like not that horses aren't important and lovely and everything uh but like they 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 speak they have personalities they have intelligence they have more than that at times although um this is it's always semi-related and mostly unrelated but when you were like they speak all i could think was you know santa menace jar jar banks misa speak and uh, Qui-Gon Jinn being like, the ability to speak does not indicate intelligence. And God, if that is not just the best description of Jar Jar Binks' character, I don't know what is. I mean, that's that's 
not a bad description of a lot of people in this world too. Hey so just saying, um, this pandemic is like absolute proof of that. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, so so they, I don't know, like like the war crimes thing, and then Lawrence finally being like, ah, oh, no, wait, never mind, I'm not doing this anymore, and it just happened to coincide with like Wellesley uh, deciding to you know, finally like meet the French in battle again. And then Wellesley like being like, you're like, you're trying to like blame me for this. And it's like, uh, no, Lawrence isn't that smart. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so funny that Wellesley seems to think that Lawrence is like this some sort of like criminal mastermind. And meanwhile, Lawrence is like country, honor, country, honor. And Temerer. <laughs> That's like it. It's like country, honor, and Temerer. That's his holy trinity. Also, like, Temerer slowly realizing, like, the effect of what, like, treason had on Lawrence is, like, very good. Because, like, I'm oh pretty sure gosh. he just, like, it was, like, very sad because you also, like, realize that, like, Temerer had no idea, like, what treason actually meant. He was just like, ah, yes. We will get a slap on the wrist and it will be a same. And then he's like, oh, no, everybody actively hates us and Lawrence has lost his money. Yeah. I think it's funny, though, because, like, the cutest thing was him being like, Lawrence, if you want, we could sell my finger, my claw sheets. And Lawrence is just like, you, do you really think I'm so grubby? And he's like, no, I just want you to be happy. <laughs> so cute. Well, and also, like, when he gets upset because some of their former crew have, like, moved on. But, like, when... Oh, yeah. But, like, he was, like Tamara's like... But like, Martin who, like, actively ignored them and, like, made it a point to be, like, yeah. look, I am ignoring you. And, like, Temer was, like, so sad because he didn't realize that, like, people just didn't want to associate with them anymore. And he was, just, and, like, just, like, him coming to the revelation of, like, what their actions meant, I was, it was good. It was good. Sad. Yeah. Good. So the, the final battle... Where, where the British effectively, they, they essentially, like, win. They win the land battle, uh, but Lien creating the tsunami. And it's, like, as soon as, like, they started describing, the, 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 you know, started describing what she was doing, I was like, ah, she creates a, she's going to create a tsunami. Yeah. She's going to wreck they, that like, shit. They lose, like, 12 or 13 ships. Oof. Yeah, but they I lose, like, the majority of their best, like, navy ships and all uh, of the people on them i stand by this though because like low-key good riddance because like captain of slavery nelson yeah good. yeah and i was not mad i was just very very happy with that wish uh, everybody else didn't have to die though wish what wish everybody else didn't die also yeah nelson can drown bye <laughs> um do you guys have any thoughts on uh the engineering of that tsunami jonathan do you did you uh i did not check with my friends who actually know something about the science of tsunamis but um I, it seems to me that it would not have quite worked that way it really wasn't a tsunami per se because it was damaging the ships that were already at sea mm. and unless they were really right up against the shore a, a ship at sea and a tsunami notices about a wave of about a foot the tsunami builds up as the as the uh 
basically the sea bottom rises up to right. approach the land. So it keeps building and building and building and getting higher and eventually inundates the land. But if you're, you know, a mile or two offshore and there's a tsunami, you won't even notice it as a ship. So it wasn't really a tsunami per se. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm using that word because I couldn't, I guess like a very gigantic swell. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a she better made a very way. Big, yeah. She made a very big swell, which is, you know, and there are definitely swells that can take down ships. I mean, the Edmund Fitzgerald sank in a storm in Lake Superior because of a swell. So, yeah, I use the word tsunami because I, I was like, I mean, that's a more fun word than just saying she, because I, I do know that comes from, you know, action on like the, the ocean floor. Um, but uh, it's a more fun word than saying like she just created a big ass. Well. well, she essentially created what we, what we used to call a tidal wave. You know, okay, yeah. Go back to the old Erwin um, er Allen uh, Poseidon Adventure film where the ocean liner gets tipped over by a tidal wave. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, and, and it, it like described what she was doing, and it was like at some point Lawrence, I think, was like... Uh, Lawrence is like, oh shit, and has temporary like go in between the wave and the ships and try to like, yeah, try to try to break it up, yeah. And it's like, how did how did they not like? I don't know, like the way it was described, like it would have taken time for her to properly build that. I did though. She did. She made a number of runs building right, and, sending... and it's like, how did they do? Like the ships didn't. They just kind of because she was too far away. Well, I know they couldn't hit her with like guns or whatever, but I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I feel I don't like they would notice, realize what she was doing until Lawrence did way too late. Yeah, yeah. She already built up a bunch of the waves and was getting to the harmonic equation correct. I so just have this all like just build onto each other and co create this super wave for. Lack I have of this weird like hate slash almost respect relationship with Leanne, honestly. Mm hmm. Same. Um, like, she's a, I don't want to say bitch. I don't like that word. She rude. But also, like, she is, I hate her and I love her because I understand everything that she's done. She's, she's a great villain because everything that she has done makes perfect sense. And if I was in her shoes, I would probably be making the same decisions and hating Lawrence and Temeraire and assisting Napoleon and all of this. But also because we care so much about Lawrence and Temeraire, we don't like her. But this whole story could have easily been told from Leanne's point of view. And, you know, Leanne could have easily been the hero of the story because, you know, she is a very good villain in that she is not evil and she's not like morally reprehensible. She's genuinely thought that she would, that like what her and her prince were doing was, and Yangshing were doing was the right thing. And then now that everything fell apart, her getting her revenge by also helping Napoleon is like, is like, it makes a lot of sense. And it's like all of it, like, like she's a great villain. She's not just like comedically evil for no reason, cough the darkling, but like, like she's a great villain. I do love her. I respect her a lot. Like she's terrible and she's terrible yeah. to Temeraire, but like it makes sense that she's terrible to Temeraire. He literally killed her lifelong companion. Yeah. Like Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. Like she's she's a great villain in this story and for Temeraire, but that does that necessarily even make her a bad 
uh, person, quote unquote, dragon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, no, I don't think it does. I know I, I don't I think either. That's part of the reason that she is such a good villain, because to me, what makes a really great villain is that you could tell the story from their point of view and legitimately believe that they were the protagonist. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's what's really good about Leanne's story. Like, She's not sitting over there like, from like an overall view, we know that what Prince Yangsheng was trying to do was objectively not good. But like, you know, for somebody in China and for the prince, it's possible that like there are reasons that Yangsheng was doing this because it seemed like it was what was best for his country, you know? Well, and, and on top of that, like he was the one, he was the only one who accepted Leanne when everybody else would have shunned her because she's an albino. Exactly. So, so she like, like even more so, you know, than than any other dragon we meet in this series that is attached to their captain. There is there is an attachment there that is literally like I would have been shunned and and you know. I, she was, I mean, she was shunned. She was shunned by the people. She was shunned by the other dragons. And he was the only one who loved and accepted her. They, they literally thought she was a harbinger of death. Like they yes. thought that she was like a symbol of death. And like, that's just really, really sad. And, you know, I just, I really love her. And I really like objectively, I think she's a great villain. And I think she's all I could wish for is that like one day her and Temera could be friends. But also I know that could never happen because of what in her eyes Temera has done and what Temera actually did do. Like Temera is responsible for Yangsheng's death. Like that true. He killed the only person who ever like accepted her before Napoleon. Mm -hmm. So like no wonder she hates him. Like it, it makes sense. Yeah. Basically well, that and it seems like Napoleon accepts and respects her. Too. Exactly too. And like, you know, we have that like interaction with like, that we see like Napoleon talking to Lien on like that mountain, like back like books ago. Mm -hmm. And like, you saw her, he like called her my dear or some, or like some sort of affectionate terms. And he like legitimately respects what her insights is like straight up change an entire country for it. And like, you know, like he treats her like not only like a person, but he treats her like a celestial and it's like, well, duh. And he treats her with respect, which, like, while she technically does get from everybody in China, it's, like, respect tinged with fear, tinged with, like, general, what's the word, superstition. And, like, nobody actually, like, cares for her and loves her. And I think that Napoleon clearly does beyond, and, like, granted, we don't know if Napoleon is truly in this story at least the type of person to just actually have affection for her or is the type of person to be tactical enough to show calculated affection or if he and i suspect it's probably somewhere in between you know yeah. in that it started as calculated affection but she seems like she's genuinely like intelligent and great at strategy and like infrastructure and command and all this so it's, it's to me what seems likely is that napoleon initially was like of course i'll be nice to you Yes, my but also like historically, like, like historically, Napoleon's like relationship with Josephine, he was incredibly romantic and in love with her and treated her like, as far as everything I have ever read, like he he treated her like a goddess almost. Yeah, I know um, very little about Napoleon except so short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
and and, and, and but, like, I think for his time he was actually about average. But oh yeah, no, no. Apparently he was yeah. like totally average height, like, like totally average height, and it was like a propaganda campaign from like his enemies to be like, yeah, he's short and angry. Yucky. I'm looking. I'm looking it up. He was five six. Dude, he's yeah. totally great. Yeah, yeah, no, for that era though, that was about average. Yeah, I was saying, what was the average height in 1800? And that came up real quick. Five foot ten was. Oh, so, I mean, uh, he was short, but not absurdly short. Yeah. Well, actually, wait, hold on. That. I don't think yeah, that, actually that's that's wrong. This is saying um, this is this, this is about uh, Native Americans. That that's yeah. a weird answer. Um, the average height of American men was five foot eight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He wasn't that short. American men in revolutionary days averaged three inches taller than their British counterparts, which means the average man in Britain was like five five. Right. Exactly. Napoleon was taller than them the yeah. whole time. <laughs> what? Is oh, and to be honest, like I mean, five six now. Yeah, it's absolutely very short for a guy. But like, but yeah, it's back then. Of, it's not out of the ordinary of short. I mean, it's short, but it's not absurdly short. I, I yeah. know plenty of men who are five foot five, five foot six. I don't think I do, weirdly enough. But like, <laughs> I, I, I also have a lot of very weirdly tall guy friends. Like, I, I have, have a lot of very tall male friends too, but. Yeah, the the tall council for Ice and Fire Con <laughs> is God. very tall. Like nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brian's the shortest of that, right? Jasmine's Brian. No, Brian is not on the tall council. He oh, is not tall enough to be on the tall council. The random aside for anybody for anybody listening to this as a podcast, we're talking about our friends from a convention that I run, and one of our one of our regular uh, attendees created this little joke thing called the tall council uh, and it's for women you have to be five eight and above and for guys you have to be six feet and above so yeah uh and 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 they're pretty strict they're pretty strict on entry <laughs> these entry requirements <laughs> but like but yeah i mean so so but regardless uh, uh, yeah i i mean unless everything i've read about napoleon and josephine was an absolute lie which i highly doubt um he actually was like a very like a loving romantic person at least with her so that you know it, it follows that he had the absolute like ability to care for you know, those who, um, you know, who, who he, I felt, I guess maybe it could be in his, in his mind who deserved his love and affection, whatever, but Leanne certainly would have in his mind. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's again, like Nami said, she's a, Leanne is a great villain because we understand her motives and you can't really argue with a lot of them. Even, even, her, you know, being on the wrong side of the of everything that went on in China, even that is kind of like, were they though? Because in the end, um, colonialism really screwed up China, like opium addiction, and in the end, like Yangsheng being like these white men are dangerous is absolutely correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, but is, so now I'm trying to go back to the first book. My impression, though, was the opposite, that what's changed in this history is the people like Ling Shane, who wanted to keep China isolated, have been overruled, and they're being much more aggressive 
going out into the world, which we then see some later in the book, rather than saying so insular and basically... So the whole thing was that Yangsheng led a faction that wanted them to remain insular. Right, right. exactly. They were, right, which is what happened in the real world. They stayed insular at that time. They didn't go out to the world. But they didn't go out into the world, but they did allow in both cases... Um, they, 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 the kept, they kept, the they kept allowing they kept allowing a little more encroachment or maybe even not allowing but maybe even being bullied into it was like a little more encroachment and a little more encroachment and you know and this is this isn't anything that happens yeah, but, in this book so it's neither here nor there probably but yeah, well i mean china was never colonized by the brits no 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 it, it was not had these trading outposts on the edge of china and then and the Chinese agreed to allow these companies monopolies on the trade. Right. And I got but, the impression that that's where, I'm sorry, blanking on the guy's name, Ling Sheng again, wanted to keep it that way and not go further. And the other folks wanted to go out. Ling Sheng wanted less. Yeah, he, he wanted nothing. wanted no contact and less because he was like, we've already got everything we need and we don't need this trade with the outside world because we're already thriving. And that was like his whole thing. And like, yeah, like, and, and I think this is probably, I know it's something that comes up a little bit in in um, Tongues of Serpents, which we're discussing yeah. in a week, but so we'll we'll definitely have more to say on that. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, in, in this respect, I think the important thing here is just to recognize that, you know, we don't really see much of Leanne in this book, but it, it's, important to note that she is a good villain like she's a well-written villain um i'm hoping we get villainess, more villainess yeah ah, i don't i know i don't like yeah. i don't like gendering these things it's like it's like calling an like actors are actors whether or not they're you know they identify as being like she or whatever um gendering things just makes it kind of whatever but like she she's a great she's a good villain She's written really well. You, you know, it sucks that she uh, created this tidal wave swell, whatever that that. Got uh, I mean, of. honestly, she's doing better than Riley in my books because she literally killed us, killed a promoted of slavery. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so anyway, so we get. Uh, I'm trying to just figure out like the best way to close this out because we went on a tangent about the Chinese who, you know, aren't involved in this book, but are also so important in the story as a whole. We could return um, to our like tangent about Lien and be like, hey, we honestly, I think the thing that makes a good villain isn't writing a villain, it's writing a good character. Yeah. And the most compelling villains are those whose motivations you can track and who aren't just evil for the sake of evil because you know it's always satisfying to defeat like you know just like the plain evil like the nazis and that's always like fun and satisfying but in order to make a truly interesting and good story having a compelling villain who is just a well-developed character is more satisfying because you can sympathize with them and it's not just like kill them all well the other critical thing that occurred in this book that changes history. Jane Rowland, the Lords. Yes. Yes. 
This is a good note to end on. I like this note. And yes. And Wellington, you know, insisting upon it. Wellington, uh, Wellington. Yeah, he goes from Wellesley to Wellington, Wellington doesn't yeah, he? Well, I mean, that, <laughs> all I can think of is you didn't know that. No, I just no, I just forgotten. I no, no, no. I'd, I'd forgotten the um. I just forgotten the the the, the what name. The second name was yeah. Yeah, because um, I, I for some reason like Nami said Willoughby, and I was like, no, nah, I know that's not right. I know it, but now all I can think of is Beef Wellington, and now I want Beef Wellington. I luckily do not have that problem, but I, I know, but it's so you bad. know, I spent the entire book hating Wellington, but in the end, he like truly does do a solid for Jane and for women's rights by being like, yep, she's on the House of Lords now. We're still not going to tell the Lords that she's on the house. Well, I, mean, I mean, he was, you know, grudgingly admiring her the entire book. Exactly. Like, like, like I have one. all these Nimrods in the, and she's the only one who seems to be competent here. Right. This- it was, that was good. I like, I still don't like him because he's being mean to Lawrence, but also like, I get it. Like Lawrence is a traitor <laughs> and Wellington does not respect dragons. Yeah. Although his, his so whole. He does respect dragons. Well, he does now. He grows to, yes. He he grows, he grows to, to understand that they are integral, not just as these aerial core, you know, dragons who are ridden and can cause destruction and everything. He grows to understand that they have their own uh, intelligence and abilities. Um, it may be grudgingly, but he still does it. Well, and and you know, it's and, and it's the same with Jane. It's like you kind of, it's like you kind of piss at him at the end because he does, like, like, because he like. Uh, well, and I don't know. Can you be pissed at him? Because like he, well, actually, I mean, he didn't. I, I don't think he, he didn't appreciate dragons quite honestly because they were used incorrectly by by the mm-hmm. Brits, and, and probably also by most of the Europeans. They right. the funniest it, thing in, until Liette came in and basically taught the French how to use them properly in mm-hmm. warfare. Right, and then Temeraire and the and his his group did their own thing, but also. They quickly learned. Oh, we can use them this way, and you know you, they were just underutilizing. Mm-hmm. It was like the beginning of air power. If you ever go back and read the court martial of Billy Mitchell, um, where he was swearing that air power was going to basically make the bo- battleship obsolete way before Pearl Harbor made the battleship obsolete, and no one wanted to listen to him. Yeah, I think the thing that I really liked about Wellington is that, like, you can see that he is one of the few types of men in charge who reevaluates his opinion upon learning new things and starts to give people respect more when he realizes that they deserve it. So like, you know, he starts to actually respect dragons. He like respects Jane Rowland. And like, even though by the end, he still does not respect Lawrence, that also does make a lot of sense because the way he views Lawrence is as a traitor and sort of like kind of an evil mastermind a little bit, which I find personally hilarious because he clearly thinks that Lawrence is um, a lot more devious than Lawrence is even capable of being. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lawrence is sitting there and he's like, Ugh! and then Wellington is like, this guy just keeps scheming. And Lawrence is like, what's a scheme? I just want to hug Temeraire. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. And again, Jane is made like is, is entered into the house of Lords and it's like, Oh yay. And, and, like, listen, like Jane is so good, you know, like yeah. I, I, there's, I, I have zero complaints about Jane as a person, as a character, as, you know. 
Also, Lawrence finally explained the whole Emily Rowland and his mother misunderstanding to her, which was hilarious because she just laughed at him. And I was like, big mood, girl. Yeah. Big mood. Did he, wait, did I, did I, I don't remember. Did Lawrence ever tell his mom even that Emily wasn't his? Nope. Did not no. say it yet. He didn't know. Apologized to Jane. No, I thought he did actually. Did no, it? yeah, I, yeah, I think he might have. I think he might have told his mom, but like, because I think his mom was like, "Oh, I gave her that necklace" or something like that. But I mean, I don't know. Like Emily, Emily is part of his little crew. That so so are Demain and Sifo. They like they're all going to friggin' Australia. So and also like even you know at the end like Wellington's like decision to send them to Australia is kind of the best case scenario for Lawrence because it's like prison execution which can't happen because Tamarir be be angry right. or I mean it's, it's it's the best case for Lawrence and Tamarir to be together for sure yeah and, and I think apparently Eskirka and Granby <laughs> and apparently Eskirka and Granby yep <laughs> oh gosh well on that note um any anything else you guys any last thoughts on this one i think like i i okay so i this obviously didn't have the impact on on things that uh empire of ivory did uh in terms of like slavery and everything but we did get Tamara's point of view we did get uh dragon militia we you know now that now the dragons are making money they're making that money, y'all. And uh, they get to pay for their own. Like, there's been. From fighting slavery in order to petition for dragons' rights and women's rights. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. All right. Well, um, on that note, uh, we will be back actually, instead of two weeks, we'll be back in one week. That's next Wednesday. August 25th, uh, to talk about Tongues of Serpents, which is book six in the series. Um, and we're going to Australia, mates. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I'm Tara, along with Jonathan and Nami. Thank you again for joining us for Sagas and Sass, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.